Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Hey, um, for the uh, seven of you that read my blog, um, you'll know that uh, I want to talk about something uh, before we get into the regular message. Um, and so uh, the rest of you are thinking, what is, what is he about to do? And um, it's nothing that big, but I just wanted to tell you, just address something that's been in the news this week. Uh, there was a earthquake in Haiti, I'm sure. Um, I hope all of you know about that. I hope you're connected enough to at least know that. And, um, and maybe you don't know about this, but in the days following the earthquake, uh, a prominent Christian TV guy named Pat Robertson, who's been around for a long time, um, came out and said that the earthquake was God's judgment on Haiti because they had made a pact with the devil. Um, it's okay to laugh at that if you want to. I laughed the first time I heard it. Um, but the, here's the thing, and I just wanted to address this uh, because there's a lot of question and, and stuff about that. Pat Robertson could be right. I mean, he could be. I don't know. But I know this. Pat Robertson wasn't there when anybody made any kind of pact with the devil. And the devil is real. Uh, and, and God is, of course, real. And, and God can do whatever he wants, and he's a big God, and he can send judgment on whoever he wants to send it. But I'm just a little um, confused as to why Pat Robertson or whoever else, why we always feel the need to explain everything that happens, and we have to try to figure out who's right and who's wrong. And, uh, and when, uh, after we were talking about this, Sherry made a good point. She said, well, if, uh, if Pat Robertson believes that this is God's judgment on Haiti, then uh, America must really be about to get it bad because uh, as, as a country, we've done some pretty nasty stuff and, and we continue to do that with our lifestyles and, and, other kind, and the things we glorify and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the fact that if we believe that God judged Haiti because I made a pact with the devil, I can't understand how all of Southern California with all the porno that's produced there every day how God hasn't just blazed that whole thing straight into hell with his fire, right? But that's what, that's what Pat Robertson said. And, and a, a verse of Scripture came to my mind. And before I read it, let me just kind of tell you, too, what I think the Bible teaches. And um, you see, when the world was created, God created everything in peace, and it all worked together. Weather, animals, humans, uh, all, all the forces, the supernatural forces that God put in place, it was all peacefully coexisting in the Garden of Eden. But then this thing entered the world and that we did as humans called sin. And when sin entered the world, it not only broke us as humans and made us into broken creatures, it broke nature as well. And suddenly all this that was working together and peacefully coexisting was thrown into turmoil. And if you read the Scripture... If you will faithfully read through from the beginning of it to the end, you will see that throughout Scripture, God makes us some promises. He promises a lot of good stuff, but He also makes us some promises and says that in this life we will have destruction. In this life we will have death. In this life there will be famine. There will be natural disasters. And that's promised to us all throughout this book. But it's also promised to us all throughout this book that God will never, ever turn His back on those that are hurting. And I thought about a passage of Scripture from the life of Jesus that, that just, God put it right into my mind when I heard this stuff that Pat Robertson had said. And it's from the book of John, chapter 9, and it says this, As he went along, talking about Jesus, he saw a man 
blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, God, who made the pact with the devil? This guy's parents or him? Whose fault is it that this guy is blind? This is the exact kind of thing that we're trying to figure out about what happened in Haiti. And I love Jesus' response. Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. And then he spits on the ground, makes some mud out of his spit, puts it in the guy's eyes, and the guy opens his eyes and can see again for the first time. Or not see again, he can see for the first time in his life. And it's like Jesus was saying right there, listen, let's, let's not worry about why this happened. Let's worry about what we're going to do now. And I think that is the exact response that we as Christians should have to any natural disaster it happened in Haiti or anywhere else. And, it, and I'm not concerned if those people made a pact with the devil or not. And even if they did make a pact with the devil, then we ought to help them all the more so that we can show them that the love of God is stronger with any kind of pact they made with the devil. And so when we hear this stuff, instead of us trying to figure out, well, I bet this is God's judgment and God probably did this and God probably did that, quit worrying about that and figure out well, how are we going to respond. How are we going to respond as followers of Christ? And so this is what we're going to do here at Freedom. And you'll have an opportunity to do this next week. Now listen real close. This is just going to happen for one week. Next week we're going to have some envelopes out there. And they're probably not going to be specially printed up. They'll probably be real, you know, low class with Haiti written in hand on the envelopes. And if you pick up one of those envelopes that says Haiti on it and you put your money, cash, or check in there and you put it in the black box, we're going to send that money through Samaritan's Purse, which is uh, the group that does Operation Christmas Child, so they're reputable. We know that it'll go to the right people. We're going to send a donation to the aid relief in Haiti, and you have a chance to give to that, and we're going to do that next week, okay? We're going to respond. Instead of trying to figure out who made a pact with the devil, we're going to respond the way we think Jesus would want us to respond, all right? And we're going to do that next week. Now, let me say this. I wouldn't be a real pastor if I didn't say this. This is over and above your normal giving, okay? And I know you're thinking, God, why does he have to say that? I'll tell you why I have to say that. Because we've done this before, and we'll get like 8000 given to the regular stuff, and then our regular offer will be 2000 bucks, and then we're sitting around going, well, we've got to pay the life bill this month. So give your regular stuff you give, and then ask God, okay, God, what extra do you want me to give to these folks in Haiti? And I believe if you do that, God will put it in your heart to give a lot to them as well, all right? So we're going to do that next Sunday. You're going to have an opportunity to give, and that's how we're going to respond to this, okay? Everybody cool with that? Now, I, I'm not saying I don't like Pat Robertson. He's read the Bible more than me, and, and I have a lot of respect for him, but I just wanted to address that, address that one thing. Okay, let's jump into what we've been talking about for the last few weeks here. Uh, we've, uh, we started a series several weeks ago called House, where we, we were talking about the fact that, that our lives are like a spiritual house, and we have these different rooms, and, and the first week, uh, you know, we talked about, well, last week we talked about the living room and, and building relationships and, uh, and what we're supposed to do there. And today I want us to address something else, a different section of the house. And today might be kind of scary for some of you as we begin to talk about it, but, uh, but hang in there with me as we do that because I think you're going to, uh, we're all going to have to come face to face with some things that God wants us to deal with in our lives. Uh, if you were 
alive and, and uh, kind of conscious the, uh, the Saturday after Thanksgiving this past year. You woke up and maybe you had some plans that day to go shopping or set up your Christmas decorations or go to a ball game or whatever. And there was a news story that came out as you were getting up and, and getting ready to do whatever it was that kind of caught everybody's attention. And the news story was that Tiger Woods had wrecked his car and his wife had had to take a golf club and break out the windshield and save his life from this accident, right? And it was all over the place. And I know why you're already laughing because there were some awesome jokes that came out about this thing, you know? And, and it, was, it was one of these things where it caught everyone's attention for a couple reasons. One is because Tiger Woods is an amazing golfer, but also because of the fact that Tiger Woods is one of the most recognizable people in the whole world. And so everyone was interested in this thing. And no matter how much Tiger kept telling us, listen, let us have privacy here, you, you're not going to get privacy when you're that famous and that happens to you. And so as the story started to come out, you know, there was all this speculation about what, what really happened and, and whether she beat him up or whether it was really her saving his life and all this kind of stuff. And we still don't really know what happened that night. But one thing came out that night as a result of that. One thing became abundantly clear, and that was this, is that the image we had of Tiger Woods was not all there was. And that the image we had of him as a family man and a one-woman man and all that kind of stuff, that there was some stuff hidden in his life, some stuff going on that he had shoved back into the closet of his life that became public all of a sudden. And that was, a, that was a, um, something that became painfully clear to everybody as this story opened up. And what I want us to do today is I want us to think about the fact that each one of us has that section of our life. All of us have a closet where we have shoved some stuff. We have put some stuff in there. And I want you to just begin to think about that today. Now, but as we do that, I want you to think for just a second about a literal closet in your house. Think about, think about a closet in your house. And I know uh, ladies are probably more upset to do this than men because they really usually want things to be nice and tidy. And sometimes us men, we don't care about that. But think about a closet in your house that you haven't cleaned out for a long time. And in fact, it's been maybe months or even years since you pulled everything out of that closet. And as you think about it right now, you start feeling a little sick to your stomach. And you start to think, man, I don't even know what, I would be afraid to know what's in that thing. I would be afraid to pull that out and see what's crawling around in the bottom of that closet, right? And so you've got that closet in your house. I want you to have that in your mind as we talk about this. And I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to open to the Old Testament, the book of Joshua. It's one of the, just the first few books there in the Bible. Joshua, we're going to look at Joshua chapter 6, a story in Joshua chapter 6 and 7. And I want to start off, I'm going to just kind of give you a little background. I'm going to tell some of the story and then I'll read some of the scripture to you. So as you're finding Joshua there, let me begin to tell you what's going on here. The Israelites, that was God's people, and, and you've probably heard about them from the beginning of the Bible time there. They had been uh, slaves in Egypt, and Moses, God sent Moses to set them free. And you remember the burning bush, and Moses going in and telling Pharaoh to let everybody out, and they escape from Egypt. It's called the Exodus. There's a whole book in the Bible called Exodus that's about that story. 
And they get out of, out of Egypt and, and, uh, and they're heading towards this land called the promised land. And, and this is why they called it the promised land because God had promised it to them. They weren't real creative on naming things back then. But, so they were going to the promised land that God had promised them and Moses dies. And so Moses had, had, had chosen this guy through, with God's help to follow up his leadership and his name was Joshua. And so Joshua is now the leader of the people of God, the, the Israelites, and they're on the, on the front edge. They're going to go into the promised land to take it. But they realize when they get in there, you know what? There's already other people living here, so we're going to have to battle. We're going to have to go in there. We're going to have to fight for this land that God has told us that we can have. And so the first battle that they're going to go into is with this city called Jericho. Now, Jericho had these huge walls. Now, cities back then, most cities that were built the way that they built them uh, correctly, they had walls back then. But Jericho's walls were something even far beyond what normal walled cities had. They were huge and they were imposing and everybody was afraid of them. And so Joshua's got his folks out there and he's saying, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to go in and this is how we're going to take uh, the city of Jericho. And God had told him this crazy plan. He said, instead of doing what you would normally do to get into a walled city, I want you to put the musicians out in front. Now, I don't know about you or what you know about musicians, but if I'm getting in a fight, I don't want the musicians out in front. You know what I'm saying? I won't like, I'm sorry, Chris, but you know, you know, I... I want like the weightlifters and the football players and the, the uh, Harley riders. I want those guys out in front and we'll let the musicians stay in back, right? But God said, I want you to put the musicians out in front and they're going to play music as you march around the city. And I want you to march around the city every day for seven days. Don't, don't go in and fight. Just march around playing music and singing and all this stuff. And then on the seventh day, I want you to do the same thing, but I want you to have all the guys that play trumpets and trombones and all that stuff, and I want you to blow the horns, and when you do that, the walls are going to fall down. And Joshua was, this is how much faith Joshua had. He heard that story, and he said, cool, let's do it. You know, no, no big deal. God, you say it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And so he's getting his people ready for this, for this uh, you know, crazy plan, and he's giving them some instructions. Look at Joshua chapter 6. Verse 17 through 20. Here's the instructions he's given them. So he tells them, you know, after the walls fall down, he tells them this. The city and all that are in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. They had sent some guys out to do some recon, you know, some reconnaissance to see what it was like. And they were about to get caught. And this prostitute was the only one that would take them in. So because of that, she's going to be saved. Everyone else is going to die. And so he says, he says, destroy everything else. Kill everybody. Destroy it all. But save Rahab and her family. And then look at verse 18. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are to be sac- are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. So see, here's the thing. Back in those days, when you would 
go in and you would take a city, you would plunder it, right? That's like the main thing you would do. So you go in, you kill people, and then you're like, oh, I get all their stuff. And you take it all, and it becomes yours. But Joshua's saying, God has given us these instructions. When you go in and we destroy this place, you're not supposed to take anything. Destroy it all. Now, anything that's of precious metal, gold, silver, or bronze, you do take that, but you don't get to keep it. You're going to take that, and it's going to go into God's house, and it's going to be his, go into his treasury. And then in verse 20, this is what happened. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, just like God said it would. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. So it happened exactly the way God said it would happen. And the people were supposed to go in, they're supposed to destroy everything and not take anything for themselves. But then when we look in verse 7 1, you go to the next chapter, you will see that not everybody listened to the instructions. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now here's the thing. Achan went in and he took this stuff and he had to know that what he was doing wasn't right. He had to, he had to have known that, but he decided he was going to do that anyway. And we're going to get into that in a minute about why sometimes we do those things and, and why, why we decide those things. But the first thing that I think for all of us, the lesson we can we can know, and as we read and we see Achan, the first thing we can see in Achan that is also true for us, for all of us, there are some things that we don't want anyone to know about. Right now, I know talking to a group this size, there are those of you in here right now, you've got stuff in your life, stuff you've done, stuff you've thought about that you don't want anyone to know about it. Back in uh, 1999, there was this song that came out that... um, that I should not have liked just because it was, it was by a boy band, all right? And I'm just too manly to like anything by a boy band, right? I've just got way too much testosterone, and I watch too much football and ultimate fighting and that kind of stuff to really enjoy anything sung by guys with that much gel in their hair and frosted tips and all that kind of stuff. But this song, they kept playing it, and I kept listening to it, and I started to really like it. And not only did I like it, I really started to love this song. And the song was um, I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys. You know that song? And I'd be, you know, I'd find myself riding down the road in my truck, you know, tell me why it ain't nothing but, you know, I'd love, I just love that. And the whole thing about it, all the, all the harmonies and all that kind of stuff, and, and I was kind of embarrassed. I didn't want anyone to know that I liked this song. And so I would have to make sure that I would talk really bad about the Backstreet Boys whenever they came up and, you know, and then really emphasize to people that I'm really a big Bruce Springsteen fan and all this kind of stuff because I didn't want people to know that, right? Now, that's a silly thing. I mean, it's silly for me, to, and, and so I'm confessing it now. All right? I love that song. It's on my iPod, and I listen to I still listen to it today. One of the greatest songs ever written, I think. But... But I was embarrassed about that. And that's a silly thing. And maybe you've got some stuff like that you're embarrassed about. But you know what else? There's stuff in my life and there's stuff in your life that's way more embarrassing than that. And way more important than that. And we don't want anyone to know about it. And we've pushed it all in there. and We've stuck it back in this closet. And we would almost do anything and go to any measure to keep people from finding out about those things. And some of them aren't just things we've done. But some of them are things we think 
and things we dwell on. And in fact, if I were to somehow be able to take your brain right now and be able to zap all the contents of it up on this, up on this uh, screen and we had a slideshow of all the images that you think about during the day and all the feelings you have towards somebody and towards people and we started to put all that on the screen, you would be horrified if that stuff came out because you've got stuff in your life. You've got a closet in your life that you have stuffed things into and you don't want anybody to know about that stuff in there. And that's why you've shoved it all back up into the closet. We always hide those things. And that's exactly what Achan had done. He had had this thing that had gone on and he had gone and he had hidden it and hoping that no one would find out. And here's the thing that we fool ourselves with. And this is the second thing as we look at this story that I think we can learn about ourselves. That as we hide those things in our closet, we think no one will ever know. We really convince ourselves that no one will ever know. And we think that that that's just the way it's going to be. Look at Joshua chapter 6 again. Look at verses 20 and 21. I read you 20 a while ago, and I want to read 20 and 21 together. This is what happened when they went into the city. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Can you imagine the chaos of this moment? Can you imagine how chaotic it was? The walls of this huge city had just fallen down. There's rubble and dust everywhere. People are screaming. There's brutal hand-to-hand combat going on. People are being cut down right in front of you. Donkeys are being killed. Cattle are being killed. People are screaming. People are running, trying to get away. This was a chaotic moment. And somewhere in the middle of all that, something caught Achan's eye. And he thought, he looked around and probably thought to himself, I know I'm not supposed to take this stuff, but no one is going to know. I mean, look at what's going on here. This is chaos. People are being killed all around. There's, you know, all this fires being started, all this stuff. Surely I can just slip this stuff in here and nobody's ever going to know. And what they don't know won't hurt them. Have you ever thought that to yourself? And I can just slip away with this. And I'm sure that when he left that day, he probably thought to himself, you know what? I got away with that. No, no No one knew I did it. And maybe there's been some things in your life like that. Maybe there was something that you've done or there's an attitude that you've had for a long time and you've got this thing tucked away in the closet of your life and you think, I've covered my tracks. I've, I've made sure that no one was looking. There is no way anyone's ever going to find out. And as a matter of fact, it's been years and no one's asked me about it. And so everything's good and, and I'm, I'm good to go on that. No one will ever know. But the thing that Aiken forgot... And the thing that all of us need to remember is that there's no such thing as a secret. There's no such thing as a secret. Now, this is something all of us should have learned in elementary school. I mean, you know, you remember in elementary school, there's some little kid that you you like. You know, for me, it would have been a little girl that I like. And like this little girl, and you tell one of your friends, hey, don't tell anybody, but I like her. And y'all pinky swear on it or whatever to make sure nobody's ever going to know but the two of you. And then you come back to school the next day, and everybody knows about it. I mean, we all should have learned back then that there's no such thing as a secret. Everything eventually comes out, and we should have learned that. But we still convince ourselves of that when it has to do with our sin and when it has to do with the other things in our life. We think, man, I can do this. No one else is looking. Everybody else in the house is asleep. 
You know, uh, no one else knows what's going on. I've made sure I'm not being followed. I even rented a car so I can go here and nobody will see that it's my vehicle outside of this hotel. You know, whatever it might be, whatever your situation that you've done, you might have been involved in. And we convince ourselves that we can get away with it and we forget that there's no such thing as a secret. You see, they found Achan out. Look back in the scripture. Look at Joshua 7. Look at verse 16. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was taken. Remember, that's the tribe that Achan was in. The clans of Judah came forward, and he took the Zerahites. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families, and Zimri was taken. Now, do you think at any point in this, Achan was thinking, ooh, this is not looking good for me. They're narrowing down the pool, and I'm still in it. They're going to figure this thing out. And I'm wondering if it ever crossed his mind, maybe I should just come clean. But he, but he never does. And look what happens next. Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, it is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. When Achan left, he thought he had gotten away with it that day. And in fact, he thought he had covered his tracks so much that not only did he hide the stuff in his tent, but he dug a hole, buried it, covered it up, probably put a rug over the top of it, and then hid it in his tent. So he had done, he had done just about all you could do to cover it up, and still the secret came out. Why? Why is there no such thing as a secret? Did anyone see him that day? Did someone come and report it to Joshua? i tell you how Joshua found out, because God told him. Because when we think we can keep a secret, when we think we can hide it away from everybody, and you might be able to hide it away from your husband and your wife and your co-workers and your kids, but God always knows. And God knows everything that's in that closet of yours. And this, this truth is found throughout the Scripture. And you don't have to turn to these uh, passages, but I want to read you three verses that just, where you can see this is throughout the Bible. Ecclesiastes 12, 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Those things we've hidden away, we think nobody can see, God's going to bring it out into the open one day. Look at Luke 8, 17. This is Jesus talking. So, and I wanted, you, I wanted to be sure I read a verse about this with Jesus talking because sometimes we think, oh, that's an Old Testament thing, Cliff. God doesn't really care. God's all love now. He doesn't really care about that stuff. And look what Jesus said, Luke eight seventeen. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. And then look at the book of Hebrews four thirteen. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything, this is the this words here kind of scare me. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. 
Now, what comes to my mind when I hear uncovered and laid bare, you know, I think about when you go to the hospital and they're doing a procedure on you. They don't care. All modesty's gone. They just rip all your clothes off and you're laying out there for everybody to see everything you got. And that's what comes to my mind when I hear this. God says, just like that, I'm going to take your sin and it's going to be uncovered and laid bare. All the nastiness of it is going to be out there right in the open because God can see it and we have to give an account to him one day. And there's no such thing as a secret that we can hide in our closet. So here's the thing. This dark junk that's in there is going to be revealed one day. So here's, we have a choice to make. We can choose to go in our closet with Jesus and begin to clean it out. Or we can choose to think that we're going to get away with it and say, well, I'm just going to hold on a little bit longer and maybe Cliff doesn't really know what he's talking about and maybe the Bible's not really true and maybe that story about Achan is stuff that God just did a long, long time ago and he doesn't operate like that anymore and and I'll be able to get away with it and no one will know. But it's going to come out one day and we can choose to privately, with the help of Jesus, to begin to clean out our closet or we can wait and see if it comes to pass where it's cleaned out in public. See, that's what happened to Tiger Woods. If two years ago he'd have realized, you know what, I got a problem with other women. I need to get some help for this. And he'd have began to work on that problem on his own with the help of his wife, the help of people who love him. And if he'd have turned his life to Christ and said, I'm going to try to get this thing cleaned up, we never would have known about that story that happened that night because it wouldn't have happened. But instead, he kept thinking, I've covered my tracks. Nobody's going to know this girl that works at Hooters in Las Vegas or whatever. She's never going to come out into the open. I'll pay her off. And then all of a sudden, there it is out there for everyone to see. You remember that closet I told you to think about earlier, that literal closet in your house? Imagine if you had four or five couples over for dinner and, you know, you've cleaned the house up and you've even put on a nice outfit to get ready and maybe even had the carpet shampooed and you got everybody over and it's nice and it's just a beautiful time and everybody's enjoying themselves and all of a sudden somebody comes in and says, hey, we're going to take that nasty closet, we're going to throw it all out here in the open for everyone to see right here at your dinner party. That would horrify you, wouldn't it? Well, that's what's going to happen in our lives if we don't choose to go into our closet with Jesus and begin to clean it out. There might come a day to where that darkest, deepest thing that you've got going on and you don't want anybody to know about gets thrown out into the open and it's uncovered and laid bare for everybody to see it. And see, this thing is a, the thing about what we hide in our closets is always kind of funny to me because it depends on who you are as to what you want to put in your closet. There are some of you that would be horrified if, if I knew what was in your closet. But you don't care if the people that you work with know that that's in there. In fact, you brag about it at work, but you don't want the preacher to hear about it. You know, and you put on your best face when I'm around. I'll never forget, this is several years ago, and, um, and I was at the grocery store, and there was a guy at the church that I used to serve at on staff, and he was kind of a leader in the church there, and he had a six-pack of beer that he was getting ready to buy, and when he saw me coming, he slid it over behind the gallon of milk on the thing, so I guess I wouldn't see it, you know, and I wanted to say, dude, enjoy your beer, you know, I hope, to, I hope your team wins the game or whatever, you don't have to hide it from me, because God, if you're embarrassed about it at me, you need to deal with that with God, because he already knows what's going on, and whatever it is in your life, you know, there's some of you that, that, uh, that, that you've got some things going on that you don't want anyone to know about, and then there's others of you that are doing that same thing, and you don't care who knows, so our closets are all different, and as we deal with them, we have to deal with them in different ways, but here's one thing we all have to do, 
as we begin to deal with what's in our closet, all of us. If you want to clean out your closet, it begins with honest confession before God. It begins with being completely honest with God. This past week, Mark McGuire came out and admitted he took steroids, but he still said, yeah, but I didn't take it because I wanted to improve my performance, and, and I still just took a little bit and all this kind of stuff. And I just, as I listened to that, I thought, you know what, we're not getting the whole story here. And when we come before God to talk about what's in our closet, we need to lay it all out there. The nastiness, the, the stuff that you would be embarrassed anyone to know, you need to be honest and confess it before God. Because here's the thing. And that, for a lot of us, that seems like the hardest thing to do, but it should be the easiest. And there's two reasons. One is, God loves you. There's nothing in that closet that you've done that can make God stop loving you. God sent His Son, Jesus, to earth. And the guys that drove nails through His hands, God loved them. And in fact, as those nails were being driven in their hands, Jesus said, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. God loves you and there's nothing you've got hidden in your closet that can keep him from loving you. So as we confess our stuff to God, remember that. And the second thing that I think should make it easy to confess our stuff in our closet to God is this. He already knows us in there. He knows it. There's nothing you can pull out of that closet and say, God, back in college I did this and him go, my goodness gracious, I knew you were messed up, but I didn't know you were that messed up. God God knows. He knows everything you've done. He knows every nasty thought you've ever had. He knows the bitterness you had. He knows the people you hate and the people that you go to work and say, man, I'd be glad if that person got in a car accident and couldn't come to work for six months. He knows about all that stuff, right? Because he, he's, inside you, he's inside your head and he can know all of that stuff. And so we need to confess that stuff to him. Now, and then once we've had an honest confession with God, for different ones of you, the cleaning out of your closet is going to involve different things. For some of you, as you begin to clean out that closet, it's going to involve you making some confession to some other people as well, not just confessing to God. And it's going to involve you being open with maybe your husband or your wife and, and beginning to confess some things to them. For some of you, it's going to involve asking some people for forgiveness. And you've done some things to somebody or, or you've, you've said some things about somebody that you didn't think they would ever know and you don't want them to ever know, but you know that it's there, you know it's in your closet. And if you're going to clean that closet out, you're going to have to begin to ask them for some forgiveness. For some of you, as you clean out your closet, it's going to involve getting some counseling for some things that you've been involved in for a long time and you can't get over them on your own and you're going to need some professional Christian counseling to help you with that. Now listen, if you go get some counseling, it doesn't mean that you're crazy. It just means that you're committing to, committed to getting well is what it means. And so some of you are going to need to get some counseling for that stuff. And then there's others of you in here, and I want you to listen real close to this. There's others of you in here that have to clean some stuff out of your closet that you never put there to begin with. Maybe you were abused as a child, physically, emotionally, or sexually. And you've been carrying that stuff in your closet for years, and you didn't put it there. And it's not your fault that it's there. And you did nothing at all to deserve that, but it's there. And it's in the closet of your life. And it's affecting who you are. And you're going to have to clean that stuff out as well. And that's going to take a lot of help from people around you. And it's going to probably take some counseling as well. But some of you are going to have to clean out some stuff out of your closet that you didn't put there. So here's what I want us to do. Now in just a minute, I'm going to tell you what we refill our closets with. But before we do that, I want to give you an opportunity 
to begin to get honest with God about what's in your closet. We're going to have a time for you to come forward in just a second. And you don't have to tell me anything. In fact, it'd probably be better if you don't. But here's the thing. If you refuse, and I'm not saying right now, if you don't want to come forward now, it's your choice. But if you're still sitting there saying, Cliff, you don't know what you're talking about. My closet's cool and it's never going to come out. Maybe you've never been involved in a situation. I've been involved in some situations where all of a sudden I will react to somebody or I'll react to something and I will think, where in the world did that come from? Where did that anger come out of me towards this person who really doesn't deserve it? And it's because there's some stuff in my closet that I'm dealing with that I haven't got out into the open and emptied that junk out. And that stuff in your life's going to rear its ugly head at some point. So this is what we're going to do. In just a second, Sherry's going to play quietly. I'm not going to have you stand and sing, so you're going to have to actually make the effort to get up out of your chair if you want to do this. And I want you to know that this, this area here is open. I want you to come down. You can get on your knees. You can lay on your face. You can stand up, whatever you need to do. But I want you to begin to deal with what's in your closet. If it's a sin that you've been covering up for years, if it's an abuse that you've been carrying around with you that's not your fault, whatever it might be, if it's bitterness, anger that you've got towards people, come down here, kneel down, and we're just going to take as long as it takes for you to cry, for you to get it out, for you to begin to deal with the stuff in your closet and ask God to help you and to forgive you and to help you to deal with this junk that's in there. So Sherry's going to start playing now, and I'm not going to beg you. I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. You just come forward if you need to deal with God, deal with Jesus about what's in the closet of your life.
Father God, we know that you know everything, and there's nothing that's hidden from your sight. And Lord, I'm so thankful that even though you know the darkest corners of our life, you still loved us enough to send your son to die for us. We didn't deserve it. And even if we were somehow able to live the rest of our lives without ever sinning, we still wouldn't deserve it, Lord. We need you. We need you to clean us. We need you to make us well and to put us back on the path to where we can serve you with all of our heart. thank you that even though you know us you love us because frankly Lord there's a lot of people in our lives that if they really knew us they wouldn't love us but we know that you do and we depend on what you did for us on the cross for our salvation it's the only way we can be saved amen now, as we begin to, you've cleaned, if you start the process of cleaning your closet, I want to leave you with one other thing here. One thing you need to know is it's going to be an ongoing process. I don't want you to think, well, I did that today, you know, 2010, and then 20 years from now, you say, well, I cleaned out my closet that day, we're done. Because you're going to stick some more stuff, you're going to be tempted to stick some more stuff back in there, all right? So this is an ongoing process, this closet cleaning that goes on. And here's the thing, once you begin to empty out that closet, you're going to need to refill it with something. Because one thing that's true, and you know this from your house, is an empty closet will always attract more junk. And you can walk out of here today feeling completely cleaned out, and man, this is awesome. And then by this time next week, if that closet's still empty, it's going to be attracting more junk for you to stick back in there. So what do we fill our closets with? You remember when I read you Hebrews 4.13? Look at what Hebrews 12, the verse right before it says. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We refill our closet with the truth of God's Word. God has laid our sin open. As we read God's Word, we begin to see, oh, this is not good, and it begins to be laid bare in front of us. And we take that closet that we've cleaned out and we begin to refill it with God's Word. In fact, Psalm 119.11, a famous verse that you probably know, says, I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So before where you were hiding lust and anger and envy and all this other junk in your closet, now, instead of hiding that stuff, you take the Word of God and you begin to hide that in your closet. You begin to hide the fact that the Bible teaches us that God loves us no matter what we do, that His love is unconditional. You hide in there the teachings of the Bible where it tells us we're supposed to live a holy and righteous life. You hide in there the truth where it tells us we're supposed to treat other people the way we want to be treated. And we begin to hide those kinds of things in the closet of our life. Then when the stress comes and when you have that blow up, you know what's going to come out? It's going to come out as the truth of God's word instead of that other stuff you hid. 
And you'll begin to react to people the way you would want to be reacted to. You'll begin to treat people the way people should be treated. And you'll begin to respond the way God would have you respond. So as you have cleaned out that closet, begin to refill it with the Word of God. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're fixing to sing a closing song. And as we do that, I want you to walk out of here today. I, the last, the, I'll tell you, when I was preparing this message, I was a little afraid, or not afraid, but maybe concerned. I didn't want you to walk out of here feeling beat up today. I didn't want you to walk out of here thinking, man, Cliff told us that we're all terrible, and God knows about it, and he's going to reveal it to everybody. I didn't want that to be the lasting image. The lasting image I want you to have is kind of what we sang about in that, uh, that song, He Loves Us, where it says, if grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. The fact is that, yeah, you've done some messed up stuff. I've done some messed up stuff. I'm probably going to do some more messed up stuff. And you're probably going to do some more messed up stuff. But as we go through this life, God's grace is poured out on us every day over and over and over again. And all we have to do is accept him and accept what he did for us on the cross. It's all because of him. It's all because of him that I stand up here today. It's all because of him that you're alive and in this place. It's all because of Jesus. So let's leave. Let's sing a song to him telling him that it's all because of him and that we love him so much. Stand up.